Yes, sir. That's my baby. No, sir. I don't mean maybe. Yes, sir. That's my. It is not possible that there was such a song, is there? Uh, here she comes. Oh, I want a gal just like the gal that gave the business to dear old dad. Oh, poor, poor old dad. What a, what a rotten life. Oh, wow. Oh, I will. All right, hold on, gang, here while I get a good chew of tobacco stuck there back in the innermost recesses of my gut. I'll be back with you in 18 and a half seconds. Hold on. I am here. Never fear. Say for you Martys out there who have trouble making the scene. Many of you haven't had a date in maybe two, three years. Uh, I'd like to point out that there is now a new product which is designed to alleviate that condition. You can now buy yourself a five foot, two and a half inch chick that blows up. Yeah, you can put it in the convertible next year. Have you seen those? They're wonderful. A five and a half foot chick, and you can get a redhead, a blonde. Uh, you can get the chick that has <laughs> any kind of chick you want, and you can get them dressed or undressed. They're dressed in any style you want, and you can blow them up, and you can sit them up there next year in your pad, next year in your convertible. Incidentally, for those uh, chicks of you out there who have the same problem, you can also get a six foot three inch male that blows up and uh, you can get him in any color shape form variety you want you know a lot of people have exotic taste you know speaking of um, oh yes i think that uh, we're, we've entered the brave new world there's no question about it that that the, the one thing that uh, differentiates the brave new world from the rotten old timid world that we came out of was that the rotten old timid world you know didn't admit to a lot of things, which we all admit to today, and that's quite true that, that 50 years ago, when you were a Marty, what you did was just walk around and sit down and watch guys get haircuts at the barber shop. You know, that's about all you could do. Read maybe the police gazette and walk around and go to the Burley house occasionally to watch chicks dance around with the things all over their little tassels. By the way, have you ever seen that act with the tassels there? Oh, yeah. Well, of course, uh, the, the conventional act was uh, uh, two tassels placed in strategic spots, which when the bo- 
was operated properly, you could get the tassel swinging in two separate directions simultaneously. Well, I, I remember seeing an act in which there were three tassels involved. And uh, you got two of them, the chick got two of them going in opposite directions, and the other one just freelanced. And uh, you don't see acts like that on the Sullivan Show, I'll tell you. <laughs> All right, George, you're making a little of that in there. I can just see it now. And now, folks, in our big show, immediately following the Yale marching team, and give them a big hand, we have an act here that has been an international favorite for many years. It's Fifi Live. Here she comes now. Let's give her a big hand, fresh from her enormous triumph in Union City, New Jersey. At about this point, you should see you should see those propellers go, man. That reminds me. Would you please reset that in there, friend? It's too bad. Of course, the Brave New World is separated from that. Used to be for years that uh, kids, I remember when I was a kid in the old timid world, if you thought your old man was a slob, well, you just thought it. You see, now it's a doctrine that is brought out into the open and is stated clearly and simply. And in fact, the old man has accepted that. He knows he's a slob now. And uh, in this brave new world, things are much more, don't you agree, they're more honest, huh? If you're rotten, you can just be rotten. Oh, like, for example, here... Uh, here we have a little note here for those of you who are interested in little notes in the wind that go whistling past our 20th century life here. Fashions that can be worn by either men or women is the merchandising approach at a Fire Island seasonal resort shop. It's the dominant approach at both Chucky's Whoopie Shop in Cherry Grove and Bobby's in Bobby's Place in the Fire Island Pines. Now, clothing that can be worn by both men and women is available on Fire Island. Where else? <laughs> cover any exigencies. In fact, they cover three separate types of clothing, men, women, and the other. Well, now, while we're on the subject of... Uh, well, that's a brave new world. We're coming right out in the open with this thing. Yes, sir, that's my baby. You know, that's why a lot of people applauded Hitler, strangely enough, in Germany. He says, well, he's honest, you know. Honesty cannot necessarily... Oh, you got it set up in there? A couple of nights ago, I must uh, apologize. I'm looking for something. Oh, yes, here, in case you're interested. Speaking of the brave new world for timid people, you can buy decals that are bullet holes you can put on the back window of your Pontiac GTO or whatever it is, whatever clunk you're driving. You can put these. Yeah, they look exactly like it. You take these babies off, I'll tell you. Looks like you've been through hell. Everybody wants to try to pretend that he's a brave demon. Have you noticed that, that we are beginning to parallel criminals with, uh, with people who are fighting for freedom and all kinds of things? That's a fascinating concept. Yeah. Oh, yeah, people have a great deal of sympathy today for axe murderers. I said it's a rotten society that made them do that. Yes, sir, that's my... Are all set in there now? Okay. You hear this sound there? Back was there? This is the sound of whoopee being made. This is... <laughs> this is the sound of the, uh... Well, the sound of the human soul at work. Or as for Tess, Rudy, too, about... 
Now, the reason I brought that, I, I felt for a long time that there are two types of music in the human soul. Uh, and there's this one type which blows through its nose constantly down there, Roger. Spleen. Guys blowing jugs, guys playing kazoos. Where's my kazoo, by the way? What'd you do with my kazoo? Is Martha Dean stolen that thing again? There it is. Yeah, she stole two of these on me, seriously. You ought to hear Lyle Van sometimes. Is everyone with that hymn he plays on Wednesdays or whatever it is? He's the only guy that has a small religious service just before the weather on Wednesday. And what a rotten record, too, it is he plays. Holy smokes, it was made in 1910. <laughs> well, that's beside the point. I suppose tradition is important. It can be a hang-up. Well, speaking of hang-ups, uh, uh, I made a very rash statement here the other day. I want to I want to apologize for that. I was talking about how, you know, they write all these songs about Indiana, you know, back home again in Indiana. You know, when the sun, when the moon shines bright on the old Wabash River tonight, la ta you know that song. As I, I rashly said they don't write songs about Hackensack. I am wrong. I was informed by a wild, rabid Hackensack ophile. <laughs> and there are such, you know, it's strange. I'll never forget the time I, I'm in the army and this poor klutz sitting opposite me for about 19 years. He's sitting opposite me on the other ba- a bunk, you know, made out of iron pipes and... And he keeps telling me about Scranton. And where are we stationed, by the way, at the time? He's telling me, he says, oh, he says, you know, you know. There's a, by the way, Scranton has a peculiar accent, too. It's sort of half Baltic, half half, uh, half Pennsylvania, a little touch of Pennsylvania. And there's a big dollop of a kind of Pollock talk, you know. And he says, he says you know, you guys never, you don't know what, what it's like in Scranton in the springtime. Well, everybody sits there dumbly because most of us have been to Scranton in the springtime. And we wondered what kind of a fantasy this guy was living in, you know. And here outside the window is Palm Beach. And he was talking about how fantastic Scranton is. So there are such things as hackensackle fields. Now, if uh, if you will please give me my music, I will sing to you a few lyrics of a hackensack song. Oh, it. oh, I want to go back to my little black shack in Hackensack, New Jersey. I want to see all the gals and all the pals that I used to know. I'll see my brother, my baby brother playing around the kitchen floor. I'll hear my mother saying, come on there, kitty. Daddy's going to be here pretty soon. It will be June and the moon will be shining down on Jersey. There never was a sweeter sight to see. Take it from me, Rasputin's. I may be old-fashioned and a small-town boy, but I, I know the meaning of the world of joy. Of going back to my little black shack in Hackensack, New Jersey. Let the world learn how to smile for me. There, that's it. That's our salute to Hackensack tonight. No, he didn't invent this. Did not invent this. This is written from a guy in Pennsylvania to me. He says, I'm a collector of rotten songs. And uh, he says, uh, you're wrong, Mr. Shepard. He writes from a town, by the way, which I know had one of the, has one of the most fantastic towns, uh, names that I know of. I used to live about uh, 25 feet from this town at one point. And it has the greatest name I've ever heard of in a, in a town in, New, in, in any place in the States. 
What a fantastic name. King of Prussia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> you know, King of Prussia. You should see it. It's an SO station. Da, 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 da. King of Prussia, PA. Well, uh, he writes and he says, Mr. Shepard, I am a collector. You could not have been more wrong. The following are the lyrics to a tune called Back in Hackensack, New Jersey, of which I have a record that was made in 1920. I want to go back to my black little shack in Hackensack, New Jersey. Well, if you know anything about Hackensack, New Jersey, you know why it's black. I want to go back to my black little shack in Hackensack, New Jersey. I want to see all the gals and all the pals that I used to know. Rasputas, Rasputas. I'll see my baby brother a-playing around the kitchen floor. Rasputas. I hear my mother saying, Come on there, kitty. Daddy's going to be home pretty soon. We'll be June. We'll be June and the moon will be shining down in Jersey. Rasputas. Oh, well. So I'm sorry I want to admit to you that I made a terrible mistake. There is also a fantastic song named Salute to Fort Lee Calypso, which uh, I'm going to do some night on the show here as I get my maracas out of hock. And uh, the <laughs> that's true. There's another thing called the, the Trenton, New Jersey cha-cha. And uh, we'll do that one too. Uh, and you know, it's, it's funny though. I'll never forget one of the most embarrassing moments that I, I remember talking about bad songs. I think I told you the story of the time that uh, I'm in the Army, you know, and all the big outfits in the Army had great songs, you know. Uh, they had, When the caissons go rolling along. This is, you know, this is the kind of thing you can march to, you know. And then the Air Force had this one. Off we go into the wild blue yonder, and you'd hear these guys marching around singing. I mean, if they're only PFCs in the cookhouse, they would sing "Off We Go Into the Wild Blue Yonder," and it was part of their fantasy. Those guys in the Air Force, and there were guys with the caissons rolling along. But let me tell you, the the signal corps marched only to the sound of muffled cursing. We did not have a signal corps song, <laughs> and we would go marching along, and on the left, on the left of us would be infantry outfits, and they're singing, and the caissons go rolling along, and they'd sing, Mademoiselle from Armatiers, all infantry stuff, you know. And off to our right, there'd be the Air Corps units. Off we go, into the wild blue yonder, and you'd hear the signal corps groups, the signal corps companies and battalions marching. <laughs> it's a steady undertone discontent, mutterer, curses. That was the music that we marched to. The music of, of the human soul decaying because it has no identity. No identity at all. You know, there was a great phrase. I, I wonder whether any of you know what the Signal Corps used to call those crossed flags. You ever seen the Signal Corps insignia, the crossed flags, the orange one and the white one? <laughs> and a great name. <laughs> you have women and children listening. You're, you're, you're really interested now in what they call them flags. Huh? Well... I can tell you that will come after the show. I'll tell you that after the show. And then they they also they also uh, they also had another. You know what they called it? They called it the Signal Corps. Um, they spelled it C O R P S E. Uh, <laughs> guys are really mad because you know the Signal Corps at one point uh, is terrible. You know to be issued a 1903 uniform. Uh, the Signal Corps was the only outfit that was in the armed forces of the United States more or less honorarily. It's an honorary thing and. And uh, they were never officially anything fish nor fowl. And when I and I'm going to tell you, I'm so so help me, you won't believe this. It was so funny. Uh, 
Uh, speaking of being neither fish nor fowl, that reminds me, this is our AM and FM, New York. We're hanging in the middle there, too. And uh, what we might as well... <laughs> you know what I mean, technically speaking. Terrible. Well, we have here Peugeot. And uh, technically speaking, the Peugeot automobile, in case you're thinking of buying a car, is one of the best designs around, especially in its price class, and is considered one of the best or one of the finest seven, one of the finest seven cars built in the world. And this is not an advertising thing. Uh, they didn't think it up, you know. Uh, this is the considered opinion of one of the most respected automotive magazines in the world. And it's a good car. It's a good-looking car, and they have one thing they do have in the Peugeot, in case you're interested. They have probably the wildest upholstery. This is really uh, a comfortable automobile, and uh, it's great for acrobatics and all kinds of stuff that you may like to indulge in in your car. Great for Indian wrestling and stuff. And the Peugeot can be seen at 2 East 46th Street, which is right in the heart of the unbelievably high-rent district. Think about it for a minute. That's right off Fifth Avenue. And the, you wonder how they do it. Well, they don't, as a matter of fact. They're having trouble all the time down there. And this is the Peugeot, which is a fine French car, and I suggest you look it up. Mm. It's a good machine. I drove one myself for five years until it started driving me, at which point we got rid of it. Now, uh, uh, getting back to uh, getting back to this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, this song business, you know, this funny thing about songs... You know, people, nobody's ever really been able to explain it. Are you aware of that? That, that, that there have been guys, countless people, especially from about the year well, when they began to be interested in man per se. You know, for a long while, man really didn't. He was not self-conscious. Uh, thousands of years ago, man really was not concerned about man as a species or what man did. Uh, he just was concerned with stuffing his gut. You know, or he was concerned with getting out of the rain. You know, he was concerned with killing the other guys on the other side of the hill. But as far as being self-conscious, they weren't. And this is this is where a lot of movie makers go off the beaten, the, the deep end, really. Uh, they'll do a movie called uh, Attila the Hun. And they'll really have him a modern guy, just wearing a bearskin rug, you know, walking around with sandals on and with a stone axe or something. Which is not at all the case. He was another breed of cat entirely. And so when a guy belted another guy on the top of the head with a with a bronze axe, there was not even the flicker, not even the slightest hint of conscience, not the slightest hint of remorse. And so they'll always have Anthony Quinn or somebody, you know, he's, he's playing the, the, the Viking or, the, or he's playing some giant, uh, he's playing Hannibal or something, and it always shows him, ah, why, why we must always go into fighting, always, always we must go. But the manifest destiny of the Greek Empire, well, you know, and he's always constantly excoriating himself for this. Gee whiz, wow! I saw, I saw. Speaking of uh, of incredible uh, movie things, I sat in a movie house the other night, and it was the first time I have ever seen people roaring with laughter at a trailer. It was so funny. And it was a movie about a, a giant barbarian, one of the great Tartar hordes of uh, thousands of years ago. And uh, it was Genghis Khan, I believe. And if you can imagine Genghis Khan played by Omar Sharif, if you can imagine that, well then, Dad, you can imagine King Kong played by Tab Hunter. Uh, <laughs> and he comes on the screen, you know, very sensitive-looking guy, and he says, "And we will take all those Greeks everywhere. We will, we will. They, they're, they're not going to stop me." And uh, holy smokes! Oh, 
holy smoke, Saruni. And, and, and you know, and, and Genghis Khan coming down out of the hills. <laughs> Looking sensitive. <laughs> well, this is a modern modern thing, you know. We've got we've got by modern it's a it's a it's a contemporary attitude that we, we always want to feel somehow that that men always were the same as we are. I've read so many so many novels. I'll never forget reading a, a few years ago a novel about Egyptians. And uh, this was, uh, you know, a, a supposedly a contemporary account. You know, it was based on the uh, the eye concept and the guy was talking about. It. And he was living during the age, during the days of uh, Ramesses II. And this Egyptian sounded a little bit like, a, I would say, a combination of, uh, oh, uh, Anthony Quinn, uh, who was having trouble with MCA, he sounded a little bit like Anthony Quinn with just a little touch of Holden Caulfield and a little Norman Mailer thrown in, you can, if you can imagine that combination. And I thought, well, maybe people want to believe that's the way they were. Maybe, maybe we don't want to concede that man really was a barbarian. I mean, a real barbarian. I mean, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, the barbarians, you know. And it's hard to believe. Can you imagine going to a gigantic a barbecue? And you're barbecuing the neighborhood tribe. I mean, they're, they're basting them, and they've got the pickle lily out. And <laughs> the whole scene is gone. You know, <laughs> we we never think of it. Well, what kind of a man was it? What was there? You know, who would sit down to the table and have his have the neighboring chieftain's liver for breakfast? And and I'm serious. This is the kind of thing that <laughs> that Genghis Khan and his crowd would do. Now I'm just just. Uh, uh, bringing up a point here, you know, and, and what about songs now? Now, the the, the thing that I, I I I'm I'm coming to here is that for thousands of years, man was not self-conscious, not a bit of it. He did not go around breastfeeding. Uh, he did not go around worrying about where whither goest the wraith. Never this. He never worried. Do you think for one minute that Alexander the Great worried about the future of mankind? Do you? Do you think that for one minute? Attila the Hun thought about posterity, or even the past. Uh, this this is a new concept. It's a new idea in 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 human affairs, and that is the idea that that man constantly picks at his own navel. He is yeah, he really does. He literally is constantly uh, searching his own fur for the lice of his own creation, and this is a this is a big bet, uh, and it's a new thing now. I would like to, before I go any further, I'd like to point out that there are vast areas in the world where this does not hold true. This is a Western concept, largely, uh, where, where we, we we're concerned about the race. We're concerned about the future of the race. We're concerned about mankind. Uh, we're concerned about we're concerned about this this great wonderful ideal of man as a beautiful creature. And if he can only clear away the rotten things he does, he will achieve this beautiful thing. This is a, this is a, a wonderful <laughs> a wonderful conceit of our time and our place. It really is, and 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 uh, you go to places in the Far East, for example, and they will look at you with absolutely blank looks and blank eyes when you talk about things like uh, those wonderful those wonderful abstractions that we think of t in terms of really real uh, mankind. Look at you. What do you mean by mankind? Are you talking about uh, Are you talking about China? And you say, no, no, mankind, man thing, the big picture, big, all of us, we're here together. Well, uh, this is an idea that, that is not whole, uh, not held by many, many groups. 
Uh, and that's one of the reasons why a guy can get up and give a speech in a place in, in, in I will give just an unnamed Far Eastern or, or non-Western uh, society. And he can get up and before 87 million people and say that an atomic war would be good, a good thing. After all, uh, we would lose many peoples and they would lose many peoples. But it would cure the whole situation and let's go out and let's lose many peoples. Among you will be you, you know. And everyone applauds. We don't think in terms of this. Uh, and, and I'm not making a value judgment here. Who knows which side is right? I mean, we may, we may very well be just lice on the hide of the earth. And who cares, you know? Uh, on the other hand, we may be the other thing, this fantastic creation that brings sweetness and light and is the epitome of all living creatures everywhere in all solar systems. There are two views. One view says we're lice and we might as well go out and kill a lot of lice and we'll kill the other lice and we'll kill a lot of lice in our, our tribe, but we'll win anyway. Uh, being lice, we'll go ahead. Uh, this is another view. But you know, the, the idea of songs and, and the, the concept of what songs do to people is a, is a fascinating thing. Uh, the very few big movements, you know, have ever been not accompanied by songs of one kind or another. It's true. Uh, the song, in a sense, it does away with, uh, does away with uh, the intellect. Uh, <laughs> there's something deep and something very, very inexplicable about what a song, what music does to people. Now, we, it's so universal, and we accept it so much, that we rarely even question the idea. Very few people say, well, now, why do... Why is it that a lot of guys dragging little strings over other strings and hitting of, of, uh, of stretched skin with sticks and blowing little pieces of air into brass tubes, why can this make me cry or make me feel happy? That's a fascinating thing to think about. And if, well, because the great composer was concerned with... No, that's not the explanation. You're talking about the result. You're talking about the result of this urge. Uh, this, this urge to create a, con a strange conglomeration of artificial sounds. Now, the bird in the forest is not creating an artificial sound when it sings. And it uses its uh, singing as a purely utilitarian thing. It's almost always two things. It's either a, uh, a sexual thing that it's doing, it's a mating thing, or else it's a warning note. Are you aware that most birds are giving warning notes when they're singing? And they're saying, this is my territory. That I am here, I am a chickadee, and I'm in charge of this tree. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what that bird is doing constantly. It's warning all the other chickadees around, forget it, Dad. I've got this one sewed up here. Uh, either that or it's saying, hey, baby, come over here, wow. I'm in this tree, and boy, you ought to see the fantastic wings I've got. Wowie, you know this is a that's a, all all there is to it. And yet we we uh, as people we've got all these wild things, these songs, and you only really realize this really when you're when you're in the presence of songs being utilized. Now, when music is coming out of a radio, and a guy's walking around and just scratching and doing something, and he's not listening and he's not being motivated by the music which is the case 90% of the time with people in music, you never, you never are, are conscious of the driving force that music can be. Now, uh, have you ever watched a group of demonstrators all singing? Now, 
this is a, this is an of music in action. Now, the the uh, the philosophy that the song may contain may be totally banal. It may be even nonsensical, which it quite often is. It can be a non sequitur. It usually is composed of very shallow philosophy. Uh, but somehow it is more powerful than the most powerful and well-contrived, well-thought-out, logical speech or article about the same subject. Now, why is this? Well, nobody quite knows why it is. And you think they do? They don't. You know that there's been a whole school of, uh, of uh, well, pseudo-philosopher-scientists working in this area, and that's, that's a thing called aesthetics, uh, with an A and an E, uh, or an E if you prefer it that way, but it's aesthetics, and they're attempting to always get at the reason, the reason why. Why do we find standing in front of the Parthenon an aesthetically pleasing experience? I'm talking about the shape of the building. Why do you find, uh, say, the Seagram building is a, is, a, is a good building to look at, whereas the Pan Am building is not? Now, that's a good question. You know, and a lot of people will come up with glib answers, but they're not, they, they really don't, uh, solve the, they don't solve the problem. Why, for example, have you noticed down here in Times Square, this building, that they're, the, the, old, the old Times building they're working on down here? Have you noticed? Now they're, they're sheathing it, and they're, they're creating a whole new building right here in the middle of Times Square. This building is, an ex, is, is exciting aesthetically. It's a beautiful building. It really is. I think when this thing is finished down here, it's going to be a, ma a magnificent building. A thin spire, a tower sticking up that's beautifully done. Now, that building was sitting down there for years, and probably you never even saw it. It's the same building, you know, that... Uh, uh, what? The why? What, what? What's the difference? Why? Nobody can quite say. Now, getting back to the sound and the music, I'll never forget the being in the army, and, and uh, you're marking, you know, you're you're flubbing along, and you're if you're in some group that does not have a song, somehow that means you're not in a group. You're not in an official group. It's a curious thing. And so we would we would hear the air corps sing. I would be assigned. I remember one time we're down at Drew Field. And uh, this is down in Tampa, Florida, and it's an Air, Air, Air Force base. And you'd see all the uh, you'd see all the P-51s and the P-38s, and everything was down there. And uh, we're, we're our little our little detachment of raggle taggle Signal Corps guys are marching along there, and uh, we're we're going along the ready line. And you know, all the planes are all lined up, and the big four-bladed props are hanging there over us. And we see these other guys are marching along the same place, and they're all singing. You know, they're all the, all these Air Corps guys are singing. Off we go into the wild blue yonder, and we're flopping along, clunk, 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 clunk. <laughs> and the only thing we could think of, uh, the only thing we could think of, we're, we're, we're marching along, and, and somebody hollers, let's give it back to him. And uh, the next thing you know, we're singing, Johnny got a zero, Johnny got a zero. Well, within about two and a half blocks, somebody, somebody changed that to read, uh, Osaka got a P-38, Osaka got a P-38, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're all looking at us, you know. Well, uh, we, were, we, were, we were, there we were, you see, we were, we were unsonged. Well, this went on for, for a couple of years, and nobody in the Signal Corps had any song. And everybody is talking about, you know, so the, once in a while you'd hear about the idea of a song. And guys are inventing obscene songs. Uh, we had 150 obscene songs. 
but they were anti-Signal Corps songs. Now, remember, you've got to understand the Air Corps songs were pro-Air Corps songs. The infantry was pro uh, the Ballad of Roger Young. Did you ever hear that? These are all pro-infantry songs. Well, the only thing we could think of was anti-Signal Corps songs, and we had all kinds of songs about what the lieutenant could do with the soldering iron. We had, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, they were great songs. And uh, <laughs> that was sung to the to the tune of Pop Goes the Weasel. In case you're interested, I, I've got the... There was never any sheet music on it because it was always confiscated. As soon as it was written down, it was passed from mouth to mouth, from yard bird to yard bird. And uh, <laughs> there, was also, there was also a song about, about the major that got caught in the radar antenna uh, and what happened to him. And how later how he talked it was a wonderful thing. It was all about that. I could describe that to you. Was where I first developed my Mr. Chucky song uh, words. Uh, for those of you who are, might be interested, you may not know that there was a, a myth that traveled throughout. <laughs> I'll tell you something that for those of you who might have forgotten that, it's a funny bit that there, that when I first got involved in radar as did a couple of thousand other guys in those days, radar was very secret. Fantastically secret operation. It was like getting involved in atom bombs or something. And I'm not in radar two days, and I'm standing next to this gigantic piece of equipment in this hangar, and it's guarded by armed guards for miles around. They got searchlights on it, and everything is going. Uh, you can hear this equipment. It's up there on a big platform, and it's going. Oh boy, was it mysterious! And it's dark. It's two in the morning, and I'm standing in this hangar. They had a big hangar built with no metal at all in it. Because this radar had to work, you know, naturally it, it, it has to work without metal. It, uh, it works on the principle of reflected radio waves that come back from metal. So we had a hangar that was a huge hangar. It was about the size of Lincoln Center. And it was made out of pegs, completely. And inside, there were two big radar units that were protected from outside prying eyes. And it was in the middle of an enormous forest. It was truly secret. It was a forest in the Midwest in, in Illinois... And all the people who were stationed there, there were maybe 200 of us. We were G2'd till hell wouldn't have it, you know, back and forth again. And they'd investigated every last thing in our past and everything. And so now here we are. We're in this secret place. And we've got badges that light up in the dark. And they've given us orange coveralls that zip up with have radioactive zippers. And they had big numbers on the bow. Oh, boy, they had us tattooed. And they had infrared things on our palm. They really did, seriously. And when we'd come in to see our radar unit, we would march over a piece of ground that was at least a mile across, a half mile perhaps maybe. A half mile was carved right out of this wilderness, nothing but forest on all sides. And they had laid this one stretch, one square, about a mile square, absolutely stark bare, like a pool table. And it is so that nothing could crawl up on it. No one could possibly sneak up on this thing. And they had around it, around this mile square, they had this high 20-foot electrified fence, tremendous high fence that went all the way around it. And at each corner, there was a guardhouse up on the top with the guys with the searchlights. Have you seen pictures of, of the Nazi concentration camps? That's exactly the way it was. And there would be guys, uniformed FBI men or something up there. They were, they were civilian types, but heavily uniformed and heavily... Uh, uh, heavily armed, and they are up there with the big searchlights, and this place was floodlighted at night, absolutely floodlighted. One spot of brilliant light in the middle of the... Right in the smack in the middle of this thing was our wooden hangar with the big curving roof, 
and it was painted a peculiar dull white color with a special kind of non-reflective paint. And inside were these big radar, two big radar sets. And they were as secret as anything could possibly be. And so when we would come marching in to do our little job and to work on this stuff, to, uh, to study it, we would be marched in in single file, believe it or not, across this one mile of ground with the searchlights on us, wearing orange suits that lit up in the dark so that we couldn't possibly run away. And they had taken all the rest of our clothes away. So you wore nothing but, like, shorts under this, and you had this orange suit, and then on the back of it they had a big white dot that was made of this, uh, you know, this reflective material that lights up. So if you ran in the woods, it would light up. You know, you would really be hung up. And we had badges. We come, plump, 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 plump. We march across, and they'd investigate. Each time you'd go through the gates, they'd look at your badge and they'd check it off and little buttons, and they had little infrared things to see that you had the right, uh, the right numbers on your on your palm. And then you would march across this white piece of ground, and it was in the dead of winter. The temperature is like 20 below zero. And we would march across, and we would see out in the darkness that these electrified fences and all the searchlights down on us. Well, all right. We would march into this thing, and there inside of the in, inside of this hangar, they would have floodlights all over, just tremendous hangars, like the size of Lincoln Center, tremendous place. And right in the middle of the floor were these two big operating radar sets. One was a one was a big five eight five, and the other was a two six eight. And wow, 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 wow! And they're they're picking up the airplanes that are going in and out of Chicago Airport, miles away, the the, the old municipal airport and the old O'Hare Airport, and we're we're tracking all this stuff and making working on this and making all the notes. Well, I am gassed by this. It was fantastic excitement. You know, I'm I'm a cool seventeen, and wow, holy smokes! I never seen anything like this in my life. You know, I'm a ham. And my idea of a tremendous transmitter is a is a is a pair of six L sixes running eighty watts input, you know. And here's this thing, and I am standing up on the platform, and uh, up on top of the of the big scanning platform, and this stuff is all wow 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 wow. And I got my I've got my my special orange coverall, and I'm standing next to a staff sergeant who's got orange coveralls, and he's one of the instructors. Wow wow wow, it's going, and he says, uh, hey buddy, he says, hey Mac. He says, uh, thinks a pretty good deal, don't you, here? You think this is great, don't you? I said, yeah, wow. Wow, wow, it's gone. He says, well, let me tell you one thing I didn't tell you about it, Mac. You know what this stuff does to you? It's going, wow, wow, wow. And I say, no, what does it do to you? He says, well, if you hang around here long enough, you'll find out what it does to you. Holy smokes. But I'll tell you, it's awful fun, you know. <laughs> Well, the rumor was around, you see, that radar did something very, very esoteric. <laughs> and there was no escaping it. We were doomed men, in a figuratively speaking. And, uh, <laughs> and there was no getting out of it. And so I, I'm up there. I says, really? And he says, yes. I says, holy smokes, how long have you been here? He says, oh, well, Thweedy, it doesn't matter anymore. I said, good God. <laughs> and I'm, I'm down and I said, Gasser, do you know what? Gasser, do you know what this does to you, this stuff? He says, what? I said, Gasser, look at you. Holy smokes. And we're all running around with it. Within ten minutes, the entire company I'm in is fantastically panicked. 
They are back. We are sweating. We're down there by the Coke machine. And we're looking at this thing, and everybody is trying to keep the Coke machine between you and the thing up there. You know, we, and it's wow, wow, wow. Well, now, the reason I'm telling you this story is that we had a great song about that. The guys in the radar companies had a great song about that. About uh, about what we were going to do after the war. <laughs> I wonder how many radar men are up and down, are parading up and down Greenwich Avenue right now tonight, <laughs> or whooping it up in Cherry Grove. But nevertheless, there was there was this fantastic rumor that spread <laughs> throughout throughout all radar guys, and you 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 heard you you hear guys really very serious, you know, because when you're in the presence of this kind of equipment, this fantastic equipment, uh, when you're in the presence of this stuff, you begin to develop. You're you're scared of it. It's a fantastic equipment, you know. And the, the, the Saint Elmo's fire. I'll never forget the time I, I watched the first time I saw in a, in a high storm in the Everglades. We had this 271 radar, which is the, it's on a high tower. The, the, the tower of this radar must have been, oh, I'd say a couple hundred feet high. Tremendous tower. It, incidentally, it was the radar that first they used to bounce off the moon. You remember a couple of years ago they bounced the radar signals? Well, it was a 271 that they did it with. And so I am out at 2 o'clock in the morning with, a, with about six or seven other guys, and we're, we're just going on duty. Radar maintenance men, and here our old 271 is out there. It's scanning the, it's scanning the the keys, you know. It's scan because there were a lot of submarines and stuff down in the keys during the war. Are you aware of that? That submarines used to <laughs> practically use the keys as a home base, you know, a place like Key Largo and that. And and the old the old uh, 271 is going, and there's a storm coming up, and you could hear the the the, the thunder rolling in off the ocean and down from the Gulf. <laughs> And that darkening sky. And all of a sudden, the entire radar setup that we got is lit up. It's glowing. It's glowing like the like a watch dial in the dark. You know, you, you've seen the radar watch dials glowing. And the entire radar thing is sticking up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and there's green and blue and purple fire playing all over it. And it was the first time I ever saw St. Elmo's fire in action. Well, we didn't know what it was. You know, there's seven of us down there, and, and, and the... And, and and the average rank there was just under a PFC, and the, <laughs> we're all looking up there. We are like we are like uh, barbarian natives who are totally unschooled in anything. But we know how to run this radar, and we know all about this thing. But we're huddled at the base of our 271 tower with the Saint Elmo's fire running up and down, <laughs> little balls of fire running up and down the dipoles. <laughs> A little ball comes down the coax. And the thunder is going. And we're all huddled in the base of this thing among the Spanish palmettas. And one guy says, Do you know this is when it does it? This is when it does it. And there was, This is going to do it to us now. The fire is going. And it's right out of one of these mad Frankenstein insane scientist movies. You know. And we're all huddled in the sand down there, and we literally could feel ourselves as time went on. And we're, we're afraid of the army, you see. Immediately somebody says, let's go away, walk well, quick, let's, let's cut out, let's swim out to sea. I'd rather swim out to sea than have this happen to me. Fire. Well, we're scared of the army. We're also scared of the St. Elmo's fire. And as we lay there sweating in the darkness, more and more, we, could, we literally, somebody says, I can feel it happen to me. 
Hey, do I look any different? Hey, do, do I look any different? I said, look, Chuck, Chuck, look at me. I said, for crying out loud, look at your whiskers are falling off. Holy smokes. It went on and on and on until morning. <laughs> the song we invented about that. Off we go with our radar set and off we go. 